How's it going, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend, Dr. Robin Burzen. Dr. Burzen is a Columbia University-trained physician and the founder and CEO of Parsley Health. Parsley Health is a quote-unquote new operating system for primary care medicine, one that combines modern medicine and smart technology with a functional, whole-body approach that anyone, anywhere can benefit from. Over the course of the next hour, Dr. Burzen and I are going to discuss how to stop burnout in its tracks, plus the controversial truth about adrenal fatigue. We're going to learn about the social determinants of your health, as well as Dr. Burson's feelings on coffee and sushi. Trust me, they're nuanced, guys. Plus, she's going to share the gene polymorphism that you can test for that Dr. Burson claims is essential for healthy detoxification, and how to circumvent it if, like many people, you are a poor genetic detoxifier. There's going to be a lot of knowledge dropped over the course of the next hour, so I have a feeling this is going to be one of those episodes episodes that you come back to again and again. And uh, yeah, I would just say be prepared to take notes if that's your thing. But before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show. And that is my good friends at Ned. We live in a time now where you can find CBD products uh, lining the shelves of your your local drugstore and supermarket. Everything from CBD infused lotions to body sprays. I saw a deodorant the other day, sparkling water. If you're going to try CBD for yourself, stick to a company that does one thing and does it well. And that is extracting pure CBD from the cannabis plant and then dissolving it in a medium of pure, healthy MCT oil. I use their 1500 milligram um, tincture every night, uh, like one dropper full before I go to sleep. And I have a lot of friends that um, are claiming better sleep, uh, less inflammation, less pain. And these are anecdotes. Just want to be clear that, you know, I don't think that this has been all that rigorously studied yet um, in the lab, but many people are are reporting good things with it. And so if you want to try, you know, my, my stance is go for the best quality product that you can afford. If you want to check out anything that um, Ned produces, all you got to do is go to helloned.com and use promo code genius and you'll get to save 15% off of your first order. That's helloned.com and you'll get to save 15% off of your first order. They also make a bunch of different things aside from tinctures. I spoke about um, a monthly cycle kit uh, that they make that, you know, is powered by CBD. So again, check out hellonet.com promo code genius, and you'll get to save some money. That's a good thing, right? All right, guys, we're just seconds away from getting into this illuminating chat with Dr. Burzin. Um, but before we get to that, guys, please take a moment to support the genius life. You can do that in one of two ways. You can leave a rating and review for this show on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. Be like Anita QC, who wrote, this is one of my favorite podcasts with high quality content and information and relevant topics. I really appreciate the approach Max takes to really discuss the nuances of certain topics, pushing through broad stroke statements that can many times be taken literally, causing people to be polarized when it comes to their health and well-being. I always take away something new and feel better equipped to make personal decisions about my health. I appreciate your passion and personal connections. I love listening to your podcast while on the treadmill or driving. Well, Anita QC, I am elated that you are picking up what I'm putting down. And to the rest of you guys out there, please take a moment to let me know what I could be doing more of, less of. I pay attention to every rating and I read every review. And um, your feedback allows me to iterate and make the genius life even better. I would really appreciate that. The second way that you can support this podcast is by going to maxlugavere.com and by joining my newsletter. All you got to do is enter your first and last name um, and your email address, and we will be in touch on a weekly or perhaps bi-weekly basis where I'm going to send you powerful and potentially life-changing information um, from science that I think you ought to know about to product recommendations with exclusive discounts to updates on my latest projects, which you know I... I'm assuming, I hope you want to hear about, and you can opt out at any time. Just by signing up, uh, I'm going to send you a PDF guide of 11 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function, as well as my number one sleep hack that I use for better and more rejuvenating sleep. So again, leave that rating and review on iTunes and go to maxlugavere.com and join my newsletter. I promise you guys will not be sorry. All right, now I'm pumped to get into this chat with Dr. Burzin. Um, Again, she's the CEO and founder of Parsley Health. If you're in New York City or Los Angeles, you guys can sign up and become members. It's a really cool and innovative new take on primary care where they set you up with a doctor and you get unlimited um, you know, text messages to them back and forth. It's sort of like a concierge uh, paradigm where you pay like a yearly or a monthly fee. It's really cool. And I know that they are rapidly expanding and I think they even have the, the technology now to do telemedicine. So no matter where you live, they can uh, see you as a patient. So Um, Wherever you are, this is going to be an awesome interview, and I'm excited to get into it. So without further ado, let's rock. All right, Robin, 
You're live on The Genius Life. <laughs> so psyched to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me in your beautiful new Parsley Health location in West Hollywood. Oh my gosh. Actually, today is the first day I'm seeing it completely done. Wow. And I cried. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's, uh, are you guys like open at the moment? Like are patients coming in now? Not or? yet. In two days. In two days. In wow. two days we go live for patient care. But we are, we are out of our old space and... You know, we opened our first flagship space in New York in January, and, you know, it's the best. It's gorgeous. And our head of design last night told me, I think L.A. is better. And I sort of ignored him because I was like, I don't want to have too high expectations and to be disappointed or something. And I walked in here today, and I was like, oh, my God. Because you get to learn and iterate every time you... You know, just like you would in technology or anything you do, you get to learn on design. So this is, um, I don't know. I, I love both my babies equally, but this is pretty special. It's amazing. I mean, it's like, it's obviously a health clinic. It's a doctor's office, but it feels the least like a clinic of any doctor's office I've ever been in. Yeah, that's the goal. We want you to feel at home. We want you to feel relaxed. Uh, we use something called biophilic design, which is 14 architectural principles that are shown and proven to create healing in the body by lowering stress, lowering cortisol, um, which lowers in turn heart rate and blood pressure, uh, and by stimulating something called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, relax, and heal side of your nervous system. And it's really cool because when we first thought about designing spaces that would embody Parsley's care, uh, and we talked to our architects. I remember saying, you know, I want it to be beautiful, but I don't want it to just be beautiful. I want it to be functional. Uh, I want it to do something. I want it to be really, you know, smart. And uh, there's a lot of ways the spaces are smart from a technology perspective, but then we also found that this field of biophilic design existed and then incorporated all 14 elements of it in our spaces, which has been really cool to see. It's amazing. Um, you guys are in New York and LA. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, what is Parsley Health? How would what you is Parsley Health? Yeah, how would you describe it? We are redesigning primary care um, in a way that makes it holistic, personalized, and a delightful experience. So, and we also are doing that such that we optimize health and reverse chronic disease. So if you think about your typical primary care experience, maybe it's a 15 minute visit once a year, Maybe, and this is sad, but a lot of people think of or confuse, frankly, primary care with urgent care these days. They think, oh, I just get a refill or an antibiotic. It's this last minute kind of thing. I don't really have a relationship with my doctor. It's very transactional. Uh, and sadly, that's really not what primary care should be. We should have much higher expectations of primary care in our lives. We should have a meaningful relationship with a doctor. We should be using primary care to help transform our health, not just to sort of refer to specialists or prescribe drugs. And so at Parsley, we've essentially said that what we're getting from primary care isn't good enough. And we want to take this much more personalized and holistic approach to your health, which means bringing in nutrition, mental health, sleep, fitness, supplements, um, advanced and modern diagnostic testing, things like the microbiome and genomics, and yes, we prescribe drugs and we refer to specialists and that's all well and good, but we want to design a model that allows us to bring all of these things to you. And what we're finding is by doing that, we reverse chronic disease, we reduce chronic illness, we reduce prescription drugs, chronic prescription drugs by 66% across the board. Um, we reduce prescription drugs in mental health conditions by 47%. And we have not only incredible outcomes, people are just having a much better experience and never knew that like primary, quote unquote, primary care, whatever you thought that was, mm. um, people are always surprised that it could be this. And people always say, oh, this is what medicine should be. And um, I laugh, but I'm always like, yeah, like sadly, like it, it should, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool the role that design can play in your healthcare. I mean, I think few people realize this, but the mere design of like most doctor's offices and even the uniforms that doctors have to wear can influence the labs that they draw from you and the vitals that they get from you, right? Like white coat syndrome 
Isn't that a thing where like your <laughs> physiology changes just by being in the presence of a doctor wearing their typical uniform? Yeah, white coat hypertension is a is a diagnosed condition where people get high blood pressure just around a doctor. That's insane. Um, and I love your point about design. We don't wear white coats here. That's deliberate. Uh, we have, as we're sitting here in one of our rooms, we have round tables because your health and your medical care should be a dialogue that's constructive and collaborative, not you know, delivered to you from on high in this very uh, patronizing or patriarchal mode that medicine used to be in, which is like, here's what you do. And it needs to be a two-way conversation. And so we constructed our spaces to create that. We constructed spaces. There's a cafe out front. All of the food and, and beverages are parsley health approved. I wanted to make sure that You know, we've all had that experience of like running through our day, running to an appointment of any kind, but especially a doctor's visit and being late, starving, grabbing the wrong thing and having it be this really stressful experience. And we wanted our members to be able to come here anytime. You don't have to have a visit if you're a member to come here to be able to have an organic tea or an espresso or a matcha or a healthy whole foods, plant-based organic snack that's going to be nourishing And to have not only the physical design and aesthetic of the space, but everything that happens in the space remind you of the healthy lifestyle that we stand for. Um, And so that was really cool to be able to bring that into a space. A lot of the care we deliver is actually online. We do a lot of virtual visits and telemedicine, but to have these beautiful spaces is also this tangible representation of who we are. It's awesome. It's it's kind of revolutionary. And you don't have to live in New York or L.A. to... To be a patient at Parsley Health? Not anymore. Wow. (laughs) Um, So we just launched telemedicine, um, starting with the states of New York and California, but um, Florida and Texas are next, and then all 50 states are coming soon. And what we realized from our members, which was wild, was that 10% of our member base for our centers in New York, LA, and, and we have a small office as well in San Francisco, uh, were not living or based in a city, state, or country where we operated. So people were traveling and spending more to get to us than the whole membership at Parsley uh, to get access to this care. And they were having their first visit in person because we required that. And then they would continue via video. And because we offer unlimited messaging 365 days a year online, they were troubleshooting and getting refills and tests and getting a lot of their care just online in between visits and then having visits via video. And so for us, it's funny because telemedicine isn't new. Uh, We're just dropping the requirement that you come in person for that first visit because access is needs to be universal to this kind of care. And we can't wait for us to build physical real estate in a city near you. Why should we do that when modern technology allows us to give you our same doctors, our same health coaches, our same testing, our same advice anywhere. But then like, how do you get like vitals and draw labs and things yeah. like that? So we can order you labs at any lab near you. So if it's blood work, you can just go to a lab locally to you. Some of the testing we do is at home diagnostics. It means you get shipped a test kit and you ship it back in the mail and then wow. we get the results. So all of the testing is easy. Uh, pharmacies, we can prescribe to your local pharmacy. So if we need to prescribe you a medication, we can do that. Uh, and then same with, you know, other types of vital signs. A lot of people have at-home monitoring today. And if you do need to be seen in person and we're not local to you, then, you know, urgent care has really proliferated. So I don't know. We find with adults that 90% of our their acute needs, the sinus infection, the UTI, the bronchitis, the, the viral, the cold, um, we are managing remotely anyway. I mean, there's big national companies today like Teladoc and American Well and Doctor On Demand that do that sort of urgent care online. Mm -hmm. Um, So we take care of most of that for our members anyway, um, whether they're local or they're far away. Uh, And then for the few things that are truly an emergency, then you do need to seek, you know, in-person emergency services. But what's interesting is that primary care is really changing. You know, Medicare stopped paying for the annual physical. They no longer pay for it. And the reason they no longer pay for an annual physical is because the data shows that it's not valuable. Hmm. So we were all taught growing up that you go to your doctor once a year and you get a checkup, right? And what is a checkup? It's this pretty basic physical exam. uh, And I'm definitely not knocking the value of, of a physical exam in the right context. 
but the data showed so overwhelmingly that a well checkup, you know, listening to your heart and lungs uh, when you feel fine uh, didn't result in any value. So Medicare, like the government stopped paying for it, hmm. um, which is pretty drastic. So I think we're in this time of, I always say that Parsley Health is redesigning primary care, just the way that we're redesigning the physical environment of medicine. We're redesigning, well, what do we? What is it that we expect from this medicine, right? Do we expect it to be a once-a-year superficial checkup and a refill, or do we expect it to be a deep dive on our health with index, in-depth diagnostics that's personalized, that's focused on what we're eating, how we're moving, how we're living, the conditions that we're dealing with, the medications that we're taking, it has to be that, right? Because we know today that 90% of all of our healthcare costs are due to chronic lifestyle-driven, often modifiable and reversible diseases like heart disease, dementia, diabetes and blood sugar problems, depression. These are the diseases of our time. Um, hormone imbalances, infertility, gastrointestinal issues. This is the vast, overwhelming majority of our healthcare needs and so we need a medicine that's adapted to meet us where we are today that isn't sort of a vestige of another time. So at Parsley, we're saying, actually, you think you thought primary care was this, but we're saying it's actually this. Hmm. It makes total sense, yeah. I mean, medicine really hasn't changed much in the way that it's currently practiced from the days in which, you know, a pill could potentially save your life, you know? Right. like. The discovery of penicillin, for example, could help prevent, uh, a, you know, an infection from taking your life or, you know, life-threatening injuries and things like that. But we're seeing like a new breed of condition um, that is now responsible, according to the World Health Organization, for 60% at least of deaths worldwide. Right. Yeah. So the majority of deaths, the majority of illness, the majority of healthcare costs are no longer caused by these acute things. Um, but we still have a healthcare system that's sort of adapted to treating those things. And that, to your point, hasn't really evolved. And listen, I mean, we prescribe drugs at Parsley. We refer to specialists. Like, it's not about knocking modern medicine that will save your life, but medicine has been designed to keep you alive. And we're saying it needs to do more than that. It needs to help you thrive. Yeah, I love that. What are some of the things that you find yourself treating most commonly in this in this weird new uh, modern milieu? We were talking <laughs> earlier about like mental health stuff, burnout. Yeah. So, you know, we see the gamut at Parsley. So it's literally like everything um, from, you know, heart disease and blood sugar problems, uh, gastrointestinal issues, whether it's basic things like IBS and constipation to acid reflux to more serious things like uh, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. We do a lot of work in the hormone department. So everything from... PMS, slow testosterone, menopause, polycystic ovarian syndrome. We do a lot of fertility work, uh, optimizing fertility. I have some really great um, data showing we're helping women get pregnant and avoid IVF through our mm. work. We do a lot in the autoimmune and inflammatory camp. So 50 to 75 million Americans have some sort of autoimmune or inflammatory condition, which can range from um, rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis to eczema, right? And Hashimoto's thyroiditis, there's like a whole basket in there that are really, really rampant, uh, thyroid disease. And then in the category that's now known as behavioral health, which is everything like depression, uh, chronic fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, and burnout, which the World Health Organization recently has called a real medical condition affecting up to 23% of our workforce, that happened in the last year. Uh, we see a lot of that too. And so people are dealing with what I call FLC or feel like crap syndrome. <laughs> and it's this constellation of symptoms. I'm tired all the time, I can't, but I can't sleep. I'm wired. I have gas and bloating. My digestion's off. I'm breaking out, I'm in pain, I'm irritable, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. Uh, and, you know, our medical system sort of hasn't taken these things seriously, but the World Health Organization is saying that we should. And so burnout is, is very real. Yeah. It's actually physicians that are at higher risk than the general population. I don't know how you, how you manage. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of stats about physicians. Physicians are, do have higher rates of burnout and higher rates of um, suicide, actually, nationally than the national average, wow. um, which is awful. Um, but our field 
I think has a number of reasons where it's set up to kind of push us to our limits. Um, for yeah. sure. So what's like the baseline? Somebody shows up, they've got FLC syndrome, feel like crap. <laughs> what are some of the things that you check for? Um, and what are the tools in your toolkit to treat FLC? Yeah. So first of all, this can come from a lot of different places. Uh, I always like to say it's never one thing. We want it to be one thing, but it's usually not one thing. And the first step at Parsley is doing this really deep dive intake. So we look at a wider and deeper data set on you than any other doctor. And what I mean by that, as nerdy as that sounds, is we're understanding things back to not only your family history and what you're at risk for, but whether or not you were born C-section, which has long-term implications for immune system. Did you have a lot of antibiotics as a kid? What were the conditions that you dealt with as a kid? Do you have a history of trauma, which we know sets you up for a number of different health conditions later on in life? Uh, the medications that you've taken, the foods that you've eaten, and then today, what you're eating, how you're moving, your relationships, how you manage stress, your environment, those things are called the social determinants of health. And uh, they actually drive 90% of health outcomes. Only 10% of health outcomes are determined by interactions with the medical system. So doctors, drugs, procedures. And so this 90% has gone like missing, missing or pushed to the wayside in medical care. And that's where we start. Now, we also want to know what you've been diagnosed with, any old lab results that you have that are handy. Sometimes people bring us like the giant binder from 10 years. And <laughs> some of that's sadly not useful, but some of it is, and the more recent stuff typically is. And, or we can start with no testing either way. And we start with this whole look at who you are. And we spend an hour and 15 minutes with you in this first visit because whether it's online or in person, because we say we need to know who you are. We can't just know you have a hemoglobin A1C that's high or low. And that was, we will reduce you to that. Um, as you know, a marker of blood sugar, for instance. So that's where we start. And then if somebody has all these symptoms, first of all, we need to know everything I just said, because that's your story. The story of your health is a story of your life. And so we need to know about your life because your feel like crap syndrome could have started two years ago when you started a new job. It could have started 10 years ago when you got bit by a tick and developed Lyme disease. It could have started five years ago when you gained 50 pounds. Like what what is driving this? Um, it could have been since you had a major surgery or an accident. Uh, and so we need to understand all of those factors. Stress um, is a huge one. Stress is the number one trigger for autoimmune conditions or autoimmune flares. And so we look at kind of the milieu in which you're living, the life, and then we take that and that will direct the testing that we do. So if you want to kind of boil down, feel like crap or FLC to uh, some of the behavioral health stuff, brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, depression, insomnia, inability to concentrate, feeling like wired or jittery, there's a few things that we can test for to try to understand that. Um, some of them actually have to do with gut health. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which we get kind of a overgrowth of certain types of bacteria in the small intestine when we eat too much sugar, take too much antibiotics. Um, drink too much alcohol, over time that can develop taking um, PPIs, which are acid blockers, which is again why we do this deep dive into the past. Has any of those things happened? We can test for that. It's a breath test that you do at home. Um, and we can see if, if you have that because that can actually be a big driver of brain fog, of breakouts. Uh, so the gut and the mind are, and the brain are very connected. So we look at your digestion. We look at your gut. When we look at your diet, what are you eating? Are you eating a highly inflammatory diet? Um, sugar has been linked to inflammation in the brain and depression very directly. So if you're eating a highly, 94% of the American diet is highly ultra-refined diet. So if you're eating a lot of sugar or fine carbohydrates, even if they're quote-unquote healthy, you and I have talked about this a lot, helping people dispel their understanding of what is a carb and what is sugar, because a lot of people are eating things they don't think are high sugar and high carb, like bars. We talked about bars the other day mm -hmm. and how a lot of them are just sugar bombs, even if they have healthy written all over them on the yeah. packaging. So people are eating that stuff, juices, sugary drinks, um, and that can lead to chronic brain inflammation, which can lead to depression. So we look at your diet and we look at the gut. We look at autoimmune markers. So if you have a chronic inflammatory condition, an autoimmune disease, uh, that could be 
your immune system is turned on all the time. And that can lead to fatigue, brain fog, difficulty sleeping, even depression. So there's mood symptoms that affect the brain that can come from uh, the immune system being chronically activated. So we learned within the past 10 years, we thought in medicine for a long, 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 long time that the lymphatic system, which carries your immune fluids around, didn't get through the blood-brain barrier, that it was like cut off. Um, and the brain is surrounded by this casing called the dura. And we thought that the lymph fluid didn't get into the brain. And then we developed microscopic technology to see the teeny, teeny, tiny little blood uh, lymphatic vessels that directly penetrate the brain. And it was like this huge paper in Nature, one of the top scientific journals, showing that actually your immune system is getting into the brain. And so chronic inflammation, meaning activity of the immune system in the body can affect the brain too. So we look for autoimmune. Then we'll do a deep dive on your hormones. So we can look at adrenal health. Um, we can look at uh, thyroid hormones. One in eight women will be diagnosed with a thyroid condition in her lifetime. Mm. So, And it gets missed a lot. So people are gaining weight, feeling tired, dry skin, brittle hair, thinning hair, and depressed, a.k.a. FLC. Yeah. And they're told, go to the gym or take this antidepressant. Um, and oftentimes it's a missed thyroid condition because somebody didn't test enough of the right markers around the thyroid. They tested like one basic marker and it was borderline and they said, okay, you're fine. And they didn't do that deeper dive. So we look at thyroid, we can look at sex hormones. We actually just launched our first at-home diagnostic testing service that you can get before you become a member um, or if you don't want to become a member at Parsley. That's looking at adrenal hormones and female hormones in depth. It's a urine test you do at home. You mail it back in. We interpret it for you. We give you the results and we give you a plan based around it of how to improve your hormones. And this is the first of our hormone testing and overall diagnostic testing services that we're launching. Uh, we also offer now a basic female hormones test, which is a blood test where you can get um, not all of the adrenal hormones, but just your basic sort of progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. Uh, to learn if those are off. And we look at hormones, as I mentioned, in a much more in-depth way. And so these are some of the ways that we begin to diagnose burnout, chronic fatigue, feel like crap syndrome. Because again, these words, you know, adrenal fatigue. Um, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, well, there were two things I wanted yeah. to So I want why do you think um, thyroid issues are so common in women. I mean, one in eight is kind of staggering to me. Yeah. And then the second thing that I want to ask you about is adrenal fatigue, because you see mm -hmm. a lot of people in the evidence-based, and I'm using air quotes uh, to say that community online, you know, they'll say like adrenal fatigue is BS. Right. So what's your take on that, on both of those okay. things? Okay. So thyroid, the reason thyroid gets missed a lot is a couple of reasons, really three primary things. One, um, Autoimmune antibodies to the thyroid can cause thyroid symptoms and thyroid dysfunction before a hormone in the blood that we test for called TSH is fully so off that you've been diagnosed with thyroid disease. And in common medical practice, historically, we only tested for a TSH. And if your TSH fell within the normal limits, you were fine. We weren't testing uh, T4, T3, free T4, free T3, which are the active thyroid hormones themselves. We weren't looking at antibodies routinely. And so a lot of times autoimmune gets missed. And 78% of all autoimmune diseases are in women for reasons that are not fully understood. There's clearly an estrogen autoimmune connection, but beyond that, we don't necessarily know why. Men do experience autoimmune thyroid disease um, as well, but of all autoimmune diseases, they're more in women. So that's one of the reasons why. Now, you can have a non-autoimmune thyroid disease um, and just have functional hypothyroidism. And then one issue is that the reference ranges for what is normal are a little bit too broad. And so somebody could have what's called subclinical hypothyroidism where they're feeling all of those symptoms and their TSH might be 3.5 or 4, right? Right around kind of that suboptimal level. And it's funny because... We know that we want your TSH to be max of 2.5, like closer to two for pregnancy, because if it's higher than that, 
you're at higher risk of miscarriage and you also can have a harder time getting pregnant. So we have this tighter range for optimal around pregnancy than we do for life. Hmm. Um, but some of the European literature shows that we should probably have a, a narrower reference range for what is quote unquote a normal TSH. And so a lot of women are experiencing these symptoms, uh, but they get missed because the labs aren't quite abnormal enough per our current U.S. laboratory reference ranges. Hmm. That's a problem. Um, and then their symptoms get ignored. And we always say it partially, like, treat the person, don't treat the numbers. So no test is perfect. If you tested TSH every single day of your life, the numbers actually bounce around quite a bit. So you'll see that somebody gets tested once and they'll say, oh, I was tested three years ago for my TSH and it was fine. And these numbers are not static. So day to day, some days they, it would have read as totally above the normal range and other days lower. And then people ask, well, why are all these women who don't have autoimmune low thyroid function having low thyroid function? If it's not autoimmune, why is it so rampant these days? And it's a number of factors. It's not having enough of key nutrients that help support the thyroid, which are iodine, selenium, zinc, vitamin D, uh, for instance. Uh, it's chronic, very high stress um, can lead to lower thyroid function. It's... Uh, Endocrine disruptors, which are hormone disruptors, which are in a lot of our personal care products, our lotions and shampoos and makeups and things that we ingest through over-the-counter drugs and, and other products um, that are disruptive to the thyroid. So there's a number of different reasons that the thyroid can get sluggish or slow or start underperforming uh, that are not autoimmune, and then there's the autoimmune bucket. So those are the reasons we see it get missed a lot. And then if you look at some of the recent research that's come out, um, women and minorities have historically not really been listened to in mm. medicine. Uh, their pain and their symptoms get dismissed more easily. And so I think as a, as a woman and as a, as a female doctor that uh, we haven't done a great job historically in medicine of really like hearing people's, uh, of people of color, minorities, women's symptoms and like honoring them as real. Um, so that's my spiel on thyroid. <laughs> now is adrenal fatigue BS? So in conventional medicine, things get a bit reductionist and it gets sort of black and white. Your adrenals, which are two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys. Um, everybody for generally has two. Uh, they make a whole bunch of different hormones that are important to regulating how much water is in your bloodstream, your blood pressure. They make cortisol, which is your chief stress hormone, which when we say adrenal fatigue is kind of what we're talking about. Um, they make some catecholamines, so some neurotransmitters that are important. So they do a whole bunch of different things. There are these important little, little glands. And when it comes to adrenal fatigue, what people are talking about is, is a cortisol imbalance. And in conventional medicine, you sort of learn, well, your adrenals work or they don't. They work fine. Or you have something called, say, Addison's disease um, or potentially a tumor or cancer of the adrenals, and then they're, they're done, right? They're mm -hmm. not working at all. Um, or you have something called Cushing's disease where they are pumping out way too much cortisol. And if you don't have one of those two things, then your adrenals are fine. And so it's this very sort of black and white on or off picture. And we know that that's not how the body works. Uh, and so when we say adrenal fatigue is bullshit, I sort of, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Okay. Say it. Go for it. <laughs> I think in some ways that's fair in that if you're not really testing for a cortisol imbalance through uh, a four-point or five-point cortisol test, and you're just sort of blanketly calling something adrenal fatigue without any evidence that there is a cortisol imbalance, then yeah, it's BS. And it's this sort of catch-all category. Uh, and that a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm super burnout, I'm super tired, I must have, you know, no testing, no analysis, no doctor involved, boom, adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's become this label. And so I understand why physicians in the conventional community, uh, of which I am also part, uh, you know, I, I went to Columbia for med school. I come from the most sort of uh, conventional places you possibly can. Um, I understand why they say that. Um, but when we hear someone is chronically fatigued or very fatigued, either fatigued all day, every day, or fatigued in the morning and then really wired at night, what we suspect is maybe if an adrenal issue is part of that. And so we'll do one of these four or five point, either saliva or urine cortisol analyses to see 
is your cortisol off balance? And, and what that means is your cortisol should be high in the morning and come down over the course of the day. That's called a normal diurnal cortisol pattern. And most people follow that. But some people, um, because they're not sleeping, because they're eating too much sugar, because they have a metabolic issue, uh, because they're living on caffeine and other stimulants, some of the the drugs for attention and focus, the Ritalins and Vivances of the world can drive this. They get uh, a different cortisol curve, and it could be high in the morning, but then stay high all day because mm. they're just super stressed out. Uh, it could be low in the morning and high in night, so the reverse of what we want it to be. And it could be fl- what I call flatlined or flat all day. And these are known as different phases of adrenal adrenal fatigue. And it's not an adrenal insufficiency. It's not that your adrenals physically can't make any cortisol because if you had no cortisol, you'd like be really, really ill and in the hospital. But it's that the normal pattern is disrupted. And so from there, we then ask, well, what's causing that? Is it because you're not sleeping? Is it because you're on one of these medications? Sometimes recreational drugs can really mess with this pattern. Again, blood sugar imbalances when um, can contribute to it. And so what we try to do is one of our core company values at Parsley, we have 10 of them. One of them is look upstream. And that applies on the clinical side as well as the business side. And so we always say, don't just band-aid the symptom, figure out what's driving the problem. And that's like a core way that we think. And it's really core to this more holistic form of medicine that we practice because it's like well great your cortisol's off balance let's make sure you don't have Cushing's disease or Addison's disease that's important to rule out but then let's figure out really the the cortisol testing that I'm describing is what's known as a functional test so it's telling some us something about how your body is responding to life and then we can help you through changing your diet through helping your sleep um through reducing your chronic stress and anxiety, through getting you off of certain medications, um, potentially, if appropriate, we can help rebalance that cortisol curve so that it's like it should be high in the morning and low at night. And we see all the time with patients when they get back there that they feel better. But it's a, what I would call a functional diagnosis, and it's not necessarily a disease. And I think that's why you hear from the conventional community, well, it's BS, it's not real, and from our perspective, it's like stops dismissing people's actual experience and real diagnostic findings as not real because they don't conveniently fit what is frankly a dated paradigm in which you're thinking about adrenal health, right? That, that paradigm's not wrong, but it's just too narrow and it's a little bit old. Yeah, that makes total sense. When you say adrenal fatigue, is the implication that... Um, that your fatigue is due to, you know, a disruption of the diurnal cortisol pattern or that like the adrenals are fatigued. (laughs) (laughs) The adrenals are like, I'm out. Um, It's sort of a combination of both. The implication is that your fatigue is due to a, a imbalance of this cortisol pattern. Um, But again, as I'm saying, adrenal fatigue or cortisol imbalance in this sense, that's not a more serious uh, disease or condition is is still real and figuring out what's causing that is it that you have a chronic infection for instance i mean there's lots of things that can cause it and so that looking upstream beyond the adrenals is generally the next step right you mentioned caffeine as being uh something that when when chronically consumed in high amounts can contribute to this to this sensation what uh what are your thoughts on caffeine and coffee <laughs> You know, it's so interesting. I mean, I feel like you've talked about this. There's some evidence that people who drink caffeine have better longer-term brain health. Uh, I don't have a problem with people having a little bit of caffeine. If I don't have my double espresso in the morning, I'm like not functional. I <laughs> cannot get through. My, my husband, it drives him crazy because like me before that coffee <laughs> is like I can't. Um, I can't deal with the world. Uh, but what I don't do is I don't drink caffeine all day. So caffeine's half-life, your ability to metabolize it can be as slow as like six to eight hours. And two thirds of us are poor metabolizers, poor metabolizers of caffeine based on our genetic predisposition and of our, our liver, liver enzymes that break it down. So, um, it's an enzyme called CYP1A2. You can actually test for this and learn if you're a slower or better metabolizer of caffeine. But as a result, you see people having coffees at noon and 3 p.m. And that caffeine is still in your system when you're trying to go to sleep. And so what I see is a lot of 
caffeine dependence that's leading to sleep disruption when you don't have a good night's sleep. Um, you're effectively pre-diabetic the next day from um, an insulin resistance standpoint. You're then more tired. You then crave more sugar and more caffeine. Then you're jittery at night. Then you turn to the wine um, to calm down because it calms the nervous system. So you get this, what I see a lot of people on, which is what I call the rinse and repeat cycle of caffeine, <laughs> sugar, and wine that they're kind of stuck in. Uh, and so for some people, they really have to quit the caffeine to break the cycle. But I do think in moderation, especially if you have it first thing in the morning, you don't have too much and you don't drink it all day, it can be a healthy part of your, your life. Yeah, I am a pretty religious like coffee drinker, but um, I, for the past two weeks, have gone caffeine-free, totally caffeine-free. And how do you feel? I feel, well, I've talked about this before. The first three days, I feel kind of like I'm moving underwater. My brain is operating at maybe 60, 70 80% if I'm lucky, just for those first three days. And then by the fourth and fifth day, I feel amazing. And, I'm, and it's often surprising to me how rapid the resensitization is um, back, you know, and the, and the regression back to my baseline energy levels. I feel amazing, honestly. It feels like the best thing ever. And I'm often reluctant to bring coffee back into my life because my energy levels are so high and uh, they're so consistent throughout the day. And so... It's something that I definitely recommend to anybody who is like stuck on the on the jit, the drip, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I'm stuck on the drip, and I, I've, I'm, I know that, and I'm always hesitant to stop because of those first couple days, because caffeine is addictive. So you go through withdrawal, yeah. and you go through a rebalancing, uh, and your your fight or flight sy- system, your cortisol, your catecholamines are sort of dependent on this external, you know, factor. And so people go through uh, needing to achieve a new new homeostatic point of energy, yeah. right? Which is also a great point to bring up. And when, you, when people say that, like, adrenal fatigue is BS, it's like, why are we so resistant to this idea that these functional ways of living our lives are depleting our health or are, you know very much masking underlying issues. I see so much masking of things through stimulants and through the birth control pill and other things. And we're sort of ignoring what's happening underneath the surface. And I don't know why medicine has become so resistant to these, these realities when anyone you talk to knows that, yeah, if I have caffeine every day and then I quit, I feel kind of schloggy for the first couple of days and then I feel great. Like you hear that over and over again. It's it, how is that not real? Yeah. I just feel like the problem is it's so clear that people are walking around not feeling at their best and they show up to these doctor's offices and they expect like a single numeric metric, you know, like some biomarker to explain why it is that they're not feeling good. When it's like the whole, th- it's the whole milieu. It's like the whole thing. It's a ho- the whole <laughs> environment is maladaptive to the human animal. And we've just been tasked with having to just cope with it, you know, or self-medicate with too much caffeine, too much alcohol, pharmaceutical drugs, illicit drugs, risky behavior. Like just, there, we have all these like means of, you know, of like escapism. But at the end of the day, it's just because the whole, the whole situation is just screwed. not to sound bleak yeah no but you're right i mean we live in a very an environment that's really toxic to achieving really optimal health and i think as a culture more than maybe any other although i I certainly can't speak globally but certainly more than more than many we have this idea or we've been sold this idea that the answer is a pill the answer is a pill made in a lab and that is the answer and that if the answer is not that then it's hokey or woo woo or wrong uh, and I think what you're seeing in younger generations is a resistance to that resistance and kind of fighting back against that idea because they recognize that that is um, those pills are a moneymaker for certain industries and that they've seen their parents and grandparents on five, 10, 15 drugs and they're not interested. Yeah. And I think that we have this whole culture waking up and saying, I have the ability to achieve a mental emotional state change in myself. I'm I have the ability to gain clarity and gain perspective and feel good and have a positive outlook and be in touch with myself without numbing myself with all of these substances and I just think you see more and more people 
waking up to that idea and wanting something more from their health than to just sort of balance their dysfunction with a cocktail of synthetic medications. So true. Oh my God. It's, it's unbelievably true. Um, I want to talk about, cause we were at a panel last night and you brought up a food that I love to eat all the time and you were not, uh, you were not as, <laughs> as thrilled about it. And that is sushi. So let's talk a little bit about sushi. Yeah. I know. I said that and the whole room froze. This is LA, Robin. Get used to it. We like our sushi. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I've come to LA and I've already pissed off everyone by telling them (laughs) that their sushi is unhealthy. Uh, Yeah. Sushi is kind of a problem. It is a huge source of mercury and, and, and fish, right? Because... Globally, through coal burning, we've kind of um, toxified a lot of our seafood population. And so the big fatty fish like tuna and swordfish and big mackerel, uh, a lot of the fish that you see on your favorite sushi platter are the big fatty fish that have stored a lot of mercury, which is a neurotoxin. And so we'll test people at Parsley. We test mercury and lead as a standard part of our panel. And we see mercury levels all the time that are through the roof. Sometimes it's a Department of Health calls. Wow. And this is somebody who's walking and talking and feeling good and running through their day. And they're just having, they're grabbing sushi for lunch at the sushi bar. And there are some other sources like the old metal fillings that people used to have in their mouths. Um, younger people tend to not have those. Or if you've had them replaced with the tooth colored amalgams, you may not have them anymore. Uh, I actually have two still. Same. Um, I need to get taken out um, safely, but the main the main source, the number one source, is fish, and so there are safe fish, the smaller fish, um, smaller wild fish, sardines and wild salmon. What's happening is even some of the a lot of the salmon that we eat because people say, oh, salmon's okay; it doesn't have metals. But increasingly, because the farmed salmon, salmon's also a fatty fish. And the farm salmon that are spending a lot of time in these pens like out in the ocean being farmed in closed conditions and fed certain diets, they're accumulating it too. Mm. Uh, and so it's just something to be aware of because mercury is a neurotoxin. Over time, it can increase your risk for dementia. It also causes hormone and immune imbalances. Um, it's a rare reason I see people with FLC feel like crap syndrome, but it does happen. And the other problem is the blood test is only recent exposure. So if I eat a tuna steak today, tomorrow and for the next few days as my body processes that mercury, I'll pee a lot of it out. The kidneys will excrete it. But if I'm not a good detoxifier, I'm not sweating. I can sweat some of it out. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not sweating um, and and I'm genetically not a great detoxifier, which I'm not, I have two copies of an air, um, a variant of MTHFR. So I'm not the world's greatest detoxifier. Uh, is it the C six seven seven or whatever? C six seven seven T variant. Yes, I have both um, variant copies, mm. and so uh, the reality is that we will all store a percentage of that mercury. Some of us more, some of us less, in our fat, and our brains are mostly made of fat. Um, so we'll store that those metals in our fat tissues. So what we do at Parsley is a urine challenge, um, provoked urine challenges is an at home, again, at home urine test to look at metals stored in the body as opposed to a blood test, which again is just like recent exposure. So, uh, that can be really critical. And for some people it can be really meaningful for how they feel today. Other people decide to avoid the the sushi because they want to improve their long-term health. Um, so they're thinking about prevention um, also thinking about pregnancy. Um, I did detoxification metal. I had, I used to be a big tuna eater and I had really high levels and I'm not a good detoxifier genetically. So a couple years before I, I, I got married, I knew I wasn't going to have kids like right away. So I had a couple years and at one point I did, um, my, my mercury levels stored in my body based on urine testing were super high. So I did chelation, hmm. um, both oral and IV to pull some of those metals out because I knew I wanted them out before I got pregnant because I didn't want that mercury going into baby in utero. Hmm. If you are a poor detoxifier, so say you have, uh, you know, you are a MTHFR mutant, um, what are some ways that you can support your body's uh, detox pathways? Yeah. Do you t- take like a B complex? Yeah. Example? So for me and people like me, B 
vitamins, but very specific methylcobalamin, which is the methylated form of B12, and then uh, methylfolate, so 5-MTHF. Uh, these are really important nutrients and it's important to get them in the right formulation, the methylated form formulation, because I don't methylate well. So methylate just means you attach a methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens to something. And our body does it like something like a billion times a minute. We do it all over the place in our body. It's a very important functionality. And in certain metabolic pathways where we also know that B12 and folate are essential. They're essential to us building our red blood cells. They're essential for a lot of processes in the body. Uh, if you're not a good methylator, they, that process of using those nutrients doesn't go as well. And that affects things like detoxification. It also affects, uh, for some people, levels of something called homocysteine in their blood, uh, which can be an irritant or an inflammation trigger for the cardiovascular system. So sometimes we see people with high homocysteine levels, we give them the methylated Bs, come right down. Uh, and then it also has implications for mood. So there, when you're um, not as good of a methylator, uh, the research shows that you can have a slower time of making uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, and those neurotransmitters, I think I'm, you know, we're still, I think the research is still out on blaming them for depression and anxiety, but they certainly play a role. And so for me personally, when I'm not taking my methylated bees, I definitely feel it for in my mood and outlook. And I've tested this theory like multiple times. Hmm. Um, I really feel the difference. So Supporting detoxification, back to your question, taking your B vitamins, but especially in the right formulation that's bioavailable and methylated if you do have these genetic variants. They're not mutations. They're just variants, and hmm. they're, they're, they can be normal. I mean, a lot of people have them, um, but they change the way that we metabolize things. Hmm. And then sweating is a great way to detoxify. You can get rid of a lot of heavy metals through sweating. Um, making sure you're pooping every day, so not being constipated, which a lot of people are mm. because they're dehydrated. Back to caffeine, I cannot tell you how many people are constipated because they're they're drinking too much caffeine. Interesting. Yeah, they're like they'll be like, oh, I need that cup of coffee in the morning to like go every day, and that might work and that might be okay, but it's the people who are having two and three cups that. They're, let's think about it. They're getting dehydrated. They're hyper-stimulated, so they're sort of in fight-or-flight mode, which shuts down the normal movement, the normal peristalsis of your digestive system. Yeah. And so they actually end up ca constipated because they're just having too much coffee every day. Right. That's super interesting. I mean, yeah, because coffee usually is discussed in regard to how it makes you poop. Right. <laughs> but if overdone, it can have the opposite effect long-term. So you guys test for that, um, the MTHFR mutation, but I, I learned a while ago on 23andMe or something like, I think, um, you know, that's something that you guys can look into if you're, if you're interested to know your status. Um, going back to, uh, to mercury, um, have you, are you familiar at all with the thinking around mercury as it relates to selenium? in terms of determining its its toxicity, there's like this new, okay, so we won't go there, but essentially, well, essentially, you know, it's like the selenium has been, it's an, it's an antidote to mercury poisoning, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Because mercury, one of the things that it does in the brain, but probably the most dangerous is that it binds to selenoproteins, like enzymes that are selenium dependent. Um, and, you know, the idea is that if you are consuming fish that have more selenium than mercury, then you're pretty much... That's oh, that the it's, thinking. That it's, neuro, it's the hypothesis. That it's neuroprotective yeah. to the brain. Yes. Um, and can kind of counter the negative effects of, of mercury. Yeah, in the brain. you're yeah. basically good. It's like it's like the omega three, omega six scenario where mm -hmm. like omega six sixes are not bad, but if you overconsume them in relation to omega threes, so the the picture that has I think been painted recently around mercury and some of the you know some of the functional medicine blog posts that I've seen, you know, are uh, discussing that, but. Yeah, I'll have to look into it more. Um, I haven't seen anything where I would feel confident telling people that it's okay to yeah. down the sushi and the tuna all right. day um, and to increase that mercury load just based on, you know, supplementing with selenium or um, balancing. But if somebody can prove that one to me, I'll keep it in mind. Yeah, food for <laughs> thought. Well, certainly if you're pregnant, you want to watch, you know, you want to 
avoid the predatory fish, the, yeah. big, the big fish, like the albacore and stuff. Abs- absolutely. And there's a pretty big list. The NRDC has a mercury fish guide online that I like, and there's a few guides out there um, that can tell you, because it's funny, people are like, oh, well, I don't eat tuna, but it's unfortunately, it's more than tuna. So I always have to educate our members that there's a whole list of fish that they need to be mindful of that contain mercury, not just tuna and swordfish. Hmm. Sorry. (laughs) Man, attacking the sushi. I know. I'm sorry, LA. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we're almost out of time. I feel like this was so, uh, so interesting. Um, Is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to, that you want to bring up and talk about? I feel like we can just, you know, I know Max and I could just go on and on and (laughs) on and bore you guys with our nerding out over all of these different topics. I love Um, it. No, I mean, I think, you know, we're really excited to be sitting here my day one in our brand new flagship space in West Hollywood. So uh, if you're thinking about joining, now is a great time. We have our founding membership live, uh, which is 25% off our annual membership. It's $400 off. And the code for that is LAFM, stands for LA Founding Membership. That ends very shortly. Um, And then we go to our regular pricing. Um, we only do an annual membership here at Parsley because we don't fix you in a visit. This is not a quick fix. Um, that's not how we work. Um, but we do offer you a level of service that you can't get anywhere else at a price point that's way cheaper than, you know, most of the sort of functional, holistic, modern medical services were thousands of dollars an hour. And so we really brought that price point down to 150 bucks a month. Um, for our annual membership to work with our awesome doctors and health coaches and team. And I'm just excited selfishly to spend more time in LA because mm-hmm. I love it here and it's like a health food junkies paradise. Yeah. So it is. <laughs> unfortunately that's not so good for my wallet, but for <laughs> my, um, love of great produce and healthy foods, this is an amazing place to spend time. You were saying that you noticed that people don't drink in LA. Yeah, I was laughing because alcohol is such a pervasive part of our social culture in America. But in New York, I think especially like people stay out late. Dinner starts at 8, 8.30 p.m. Like, and, you know, people drink um, and it's just sort of accepted. And I feel like when I come to L.A. and even, and even San Francisco, everyone's like, yeah, you want to do dinner at six and you know, people don't, <laughs> people don't drink as much as driving. You know, we don't in New York city, like I never drive anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so take the subway, I jump in a car, um, or in a cab or something. So it's hilarious. Cause I, yeah, it's not, I think it's a good thing. People go to bed earlier, wake up earlier. Uh, it's more about the day. And in New York, it's definitely about the night. That's me. <laughs> I, I'm now start. I have dinner at like 6.30 p.m. every night. Yeah. See, you've entered full-on grandparent land. <laughs> yeah. And you're never going back. But I will tell you that I feel way better doing that than eating late at night. Do you do, you do that? Do you practice like early time restrictive eating? Yeah, I try to. I mean, the reality is that I am still at the office at 6.30 often. And dinner is often after I put my son to bed. So after 8.30. Yeah. Uh, and that's the reality of, of life as a mom, um, and a business owner at the moment. But yes, if you give yourself time to digest, if you know, a good three, four hours before bed, um, you know, it's definitely shown to be much more positive for your sleep quality. And then, you know, if you go to bed earlier, it's much better for your sleep quality because people get back to cortisol, people get this bump, uh, sometimes around people call it the witching hour, but around like 11, 1130 midnight. And so a lot of people are like clocking at work. They're looking at their phones. They're watching TV. They're having conversations. They're out and it's like, go, 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 go. And they get that kind of boost of energy around 11 PM and they're still up. And then they get to bed at midnight and they like try to fall asleep, like Mm. boom. And their body's like, I, Hey, I'm wired. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do. So we always advise if you can to try to be in bed by 10, Hmm. uh, which I think is, uh, more socially realistic here in LA, (laughs) maybe or in California, it seems than in the, the typical New York city, like lifestyle, but it's definitely superior from a sleep quality standpoint. Yeah. I noticed that sometimes when I delay sleep, I, I do get that second wind. Um, it just, it has the sort of the opposite effect. Yeah. It's and not like you get more tired, which would be what you would intuitively th- expect. 
you actually, if you delay sleep, you get like more energy, yeah. which is not good. That can cause, that can be, you know, that can underlie insomnia. Yeah. And a lot of people have insomnia because they're just like rolling and rolling right up until the moment they try to drop into bed. Uh, and they've just been stimulating their nervous system through food, through alcohol, through um, conversation, through media. And then like they just try to drop into bed and then they can't fall asleep. And they're like, well, I can't sleep. And I'm like, well, you know, you really need to practice good sleep hygiene, which is ideally like an hour before you're dimming the lights, you're slowing down, you're doing things that more analog, you're getting your screen out of your hands. I mean, I definitely have the occasional night where I'm like scrolling the gram before bed and my mm. husband will make fun of me and <laughs> You're like, you're such a tween. <laughs> Put it down. It's good. You're not going to sleep well. Uh, and he's right. And <laughs> I know that everything you say is right because it's the stuff that I have researched and, and teach all the time. Um, so it's tempting. I'm not immune, right? But we all, I think, sleep is so important uh, to overall health. It's critical. And we've sort of given it short shrift and culturally said like, oh, you're cool if you get five hours a night. And that is absolutely wrong it's horrible for your metabolism it's horrible for your mental health it's horrible for your brain's ability to detoxify because nighttime and good sleep is when our brains take out the trash from the day metabolically and clean themselves out uh and it's kind of like your brain gets a shower at night and if you didn't take a shower for weeks on end like you wouldn't you know, we all know how you would be. Yeah. So your brain, if it doesn't get a shower for weeks on end, is not going to work as well either. That makes sense. And as you already mentioned, on just one night of poor sleep, you're essentially pre-diabetic the next day. I mean, it's, te it's temporary perhaps, yep. but uh, no bueno. Yep. Uh, so we're almost out of time. I got, you know, the last question that I asked to everybody on this show. But before we get to that, how can listeners connect with you on uh, social media? Yeah, so follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parsley Health. Um, and you can visit our website, parsleyhealth.com. I always recommend signing up for our newsletter. We have an amazing newsletter that's co-authored with our content team and our physicians and our health coaches. So we have really valuable information. We teach a lot of the stuff that we um, share in our actual medical practice. So you can learn a lot from our blog um, evidence-based, well-researched, well thoughtfully written content, uh, and lots of news and announcements there. So check out the newsletter for sure. And I'm Robin Burson, MD, um, on all the, the socials if you're looking for me. Nice. Say, say hi. Lots of baby pics. No, I'm really good about that. Really? I don't do a lot of baby pics. I do almost none. Oh, wow. And I'm actually thinking of completely stopping. Uh, I, I, I have some friends who are like full mama mode on on social all the time and like have a zillion pictures of their kids and i i've never been like that hmm. but i when he was a baby baby i was like more i don't know liberal with it i think and then as he's gotten older i've been posting less and less and less and i was talking to a friend who um is, is a celebrity and she won't put her her child's face at all never has on social and I asked her why, and she was like, well, he doesn't have a choice. Huh. And it's so true, and I've, and I've always had mixed feelings about it. And I know that I'm going to go, like, completely draconian, like, never, ever, ever post my kids. But um, I really don't, I don't want to seek attention through my children. And most of all, like, they'll someday have their own social, whatever the social media of whatever <laughs> the next wave is, when Instagram and Facebook are gone, um, There'll be something mm. inevitably and they'll have a choice to how they how they share themselves. And by the way, I'm not like moralizing or telling people what <laughs> to do right now because this has been something I've struggled with. Yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, pregnant with my second right now and I've really changed to some degree my thinking around that. So no, if you follow me, it will not be all baby pics. Nice. Um, it'll be like a lot of health and wellness nerdiness and some updates from Parsley and uh, my musings on, you know, all the things that we talk about today, nutrition, fitness, sleep, supplements, testing, lifestyle, um, mental health, natural fertility, stuff super, I'm into. Super important. Yeah. I only ask because I, you know, I, I post photos of my cat pretty regularly. So yeah. and she does, she doesn't get a choice. She doesn't get a choice. No, I don't, I don't offer <sighs> her that. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That might that that cat might haunt you one day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll she, does. she does. She does. <laughs> yeah, I call her a sleep terrorist. Oh no. Um. Yeah. Speaking of sleep. Okay. So, Dr. Robin Burrs, and thank you for being here. What does it mean to you to live a genius life? Oh. You know, to me, living a genius life means 
knowing when I feel good, knowing when I don't, and having the tools to get back to feeling awesome when I don't. And so I think we all are missing this deeply critical form of like education in our lives around self-care, nutrition, mental health, all the things that you and I obsess about that just don't make it into like our upbringings, right? Or how we educate our, our children. Um, and if we know how to get healthy again, how to feel well, how to feel great, if we have those tools, listen, there are going to be times when we don't feel good. That is being human. We're going to go through major stress. Some of us will experience trauma, infections, illness. Like this is part of life. But if we have this incredible toolkit, then we can all be geniuses because we can get back to feeling great even when we've, you know, for reasons our own fault or not our own fault, gotten off track. I love that. So true. So poignant. Thank you so much for being here. To all you guys out there in podcast land, as always, I value your time and attention. Take a moment to spread this episode of the show. Uh, Highlight your favorite quote from Dr. Burzin or I, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace out, yo.